Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 180 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Gavin Rossdale from Bush, now that everybody is talking about the holidays, give the gift of Mistress Carrie this holiday season. Check out the official shop at mistresscarry.com. Hoodies and three-quarter sleeve jerseys, t-shirts and tank tops, coffee mugs, pint glasses, slate coasters, clear plastic bags to take into concerts and sporting events, caps, beanies, guitar picks, and I've even got my own tree ornaments in black and purple, of course. So give the gift of Mistress Carrie this holiday season. Just head to the shop at mistresscarry.com. My guest this week is Gavin Rossdale from Bush, who are out on the road celebrating the release of their first greatest hits collection, Loaded, the greatest hits 1994 to 2023, featuring the new song, Nowhere to Go But Everywhere. Gavin was in his home studio dealing with phones ringing, leaf blowers outside the window, and of course, the dogs. We talked about songwriting inspiration, his love of punk rock from an early age, developing his upcoming new cooking show, the international cuisine he loves most, and what he eats when he comes to New England. We also talked about his dogs, what makes the perfect song, his unbelievable tattoos, and so much more. Bush is out on the road with Bad Wolves and Eva Under Fire, and you can see him in Providence, Rhode Island, coming up November 21st. Just check the show notes for all the links you need. It took 180 episodes to get him on the show, and I am so excited that he's here. So allow me to introduce you to Gavin Rossdale from Bush. Mr. Gavin Rossdale, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're busy. Thanks for having me. Are you cool. are you in your home studio right now? Because I'm always curious what the artist's home studios look like. Yeah, I'm in my home studio. This is where I work. And um, it's it's just a tricked out room really in my house. And uh, tricked out, tricked it out. I've got these sound barriers everywhere. And it's my studio. Oh, nice. You got a piano in there, a bunch of guitars. Beautiful. Recording setup. Pictures Ooh. of the kids. Just the one, just the one on the on the laptop here. Yeah. You know what you don't have is a framed picture of you and I together. Unlike in my studio, where if I move I my head, you're right there. Ah, I gotta step it up. We need to step up our photo uh, ops. 
So this photo became quite a meme because the photographer got a picture of you looking at me with a little glimmer in your eye. And so it became a meme where love something as much as Gavin loves Carrie in this picture. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) A lot of love. Yeah, exactly. So you've made the wall in MCHQ. That's what I call my studio. Do you have a name for yours? Kingston Sound. Nice. Love it. Oh, sorry. That's a new one. Sorry. No, it's fine. Is that Chewy barking in the background? That is Chewy letting rip in the background, complaining about the someone's arrival. So last time I saw you, you were in Boston, and you were at the new MGM Music Hall at Fenway, and right. you were telling me that Chewy was getting ready to have surgery. I know he had it. Is he doing good? He never had the... He went through some terrible times, but he never had the heart procedure he's going to have. So that's now he still gets put off until February because his heart didn't get big enough for the clamp. Yeah, poor guy. He's got heart trouble. Too much heart. Well, not enough heart, actually. His heart's too small. He's the most adorable Pomeranian for anybody that hasn't seen pictures of him on your Instagram. And I love the fact that when you go out on the road, he gets an all-access backstage pass on his collar. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I often forget mine, so you know, I often need to lean on this guy to help me get in. Yeah, because nobody is going to let you go where you need to go because you're completely unrecognizable, Mr. Rossdale. <laughs> Only to you. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about this Greatest Hits release because... It seems like when you get to the point in your career where it warrants a greatest hits, that I would think that would be somewhat of a sentimental process to kind of go through the journey of your entire career to put something like that together. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, to an extent. Um, it has been and more, you know, I was always really mindful trying to keep going and write new songs and not look in the rear view mirror. And so there's always something about greatest hits that they're really useful. But when I was a kid, when some of greatest hits would come out, I'd be so confused. What about the whole, what, is this the end? Are they leaving? Are they going? And I had this sort of basic understanding of greatest hits is like a see you later kind of record. So I never wanted to make that. And I'm in the middle of uh, uh, writing new songs, you know, for the new record for next year. So it was interesting to try and write a song that spread across or stretched across all the years uh, of the band. And, um, and that's what I do with No To Go Everywhere. And um, that was a kind of incredible experience, really, because there's a lot of songs, a lot of time, and all these songs to me are just sort of chapters in time. I mean, they, I play them all the time, so they're really modern and they live with me the whole time. Do you know what I mean, it's like I play them when I play shows, and you've seen a hundred of them. But so, it's like, I'm never that far from any of these songs. There's a few songs, like four or five songs. That I'm like, whoa, those songs, you know, but generally I kind of, you know, use those songs. So it's been a weird process, but I like it. I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by creative musicians as part of my job, but I don't share your ability to be able to play instruments, sing, write songs. You've heard my voice. It does not sing. And the creative process of songwriting to me seems like such a vulnerable experience where you're pouring 
every emotion, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the heartbreak, all of it into this music. And it seems kind of weird that then we consume it as a product that then you have to relive every night. So existential road you're on here. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things. Like, I can't imagine writing something or bringing an idea into a band and having them go, mm, not feeling it. That would break my heart. And also <laughs> that you, that you, all of these years later, have to maybe relive stuff that happened in your youth because you put it into a song and it does yeah. live with you. Right. right. But, you know, the thing about, the magic of music and the magic of songs is that they're sort of um, they're pliable. You know, anyone can. You know, if you like a song, if you get like one of our songs, that's your song. You know, and um, and um, if once it's written, it's out there. And when I sing "Come Down," you know, um, it's not about what I first wrote it about. It has to be like an actor. It has to be of the moment. It has to be like, well, my, where my brain's at, I don't want to come back down from this cloud. And I'm just, it's where wherever my brain is at that day. And so, I don't really have anything. I mean, I, you can relive emotions, I suppose, but I, I think that uh, that's the, the, the best thing about music is that it just sort of, it keeps refreshing itself every day as to what it means to you, you know? I have a theory about music that there's kind of two phases of your musical identity. There's the soundtrack to your childhood, the music that you get gifted by the adults around you, whether it be parents, the cool uncle, your siblings. And then there is a moment in time where you, in your adolescence, discover something on your own. And from then on, music becomes what you've chosen. So what was the soundtrack to your life? And then what was the song or artist that you heard and said, okay, hold on. This is what I like. I was really lucky because the, the whole revolution of punk was so Malcolm Gladwell-esque for me in the sense of that was my culture. I was a kid growing up and I see these guys, anti-establishment, uh, spitting, swearing on TV, the youth rebellion. I just couldn't, I couldn't never see anything like it. And then the sound and the aggression and the energy and the playing. And, you know, we have, it's funny because now you have a uh, California, you know, pop punk is a, is a genre, Blink 182, uh, Goldfinger, you know, that's the sound. But it's not much to do with the punk that I knew of that was a bit more desolate and a bit more, um, a bit more raw, you know, a bit more raw. And um, so it just carried through into like post-punk and public image and then, and then rock bands, you know, and who were the other side of the hair bands. And, um, you know, and that was always the best thing about, about sort of heavier rock and the kind of the movement of the Seattle sound was understanding rock that, uh, rock that um could be um played without doing the kind of the guns and roses and the kind of the, the sunset strips out i never thought i could sing like that it wasn't my sound so it's just a weird journey so it's got to be punk that was a long answer to punk music what did your parents growing up think about 
about that being your genre of choice? Well, it was perfect because that's my 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 mum had left by that point, so I was uh, just living with my dad. So it was perfect for sort of extreme uh, youth isolation and angst and sort of pain. Do you know we have to have that? Um, we didn't have any of that um, therapy or mental health support or nothing like that. You just had to sort of figure it out. When I think of it now, my kids at this uh, same age, you know, being asked of them to sort of encounter quite adult themes and consequences, you know, extreme consequences, um, is a lot. Like, I could never put it on them. You know, I'm too like, no, I'm going to take the bullet for them. They can't possibly feel that much. (laughs) Got to protect them from real life, you know. And so, you know, to have that wild change um, and, um, you know, my mom moved to a different country, so I didn't see her for a while. So that's like super intense, you know, and then so that music. So it's all part of me, that angst, that punk thing. That's why, for instance, it's often I say to myself, I think I say to myself, I don't say to myself, but I wonder that. Because I have to think, I have to analyze myself so much doing interviews. It's so weird. But you have to, you know, yeah, what, what, like, why don't I, why didn't I do Britpop? Why did I not, like, check out the Kings? Why was I thinking that these American bands with their extreme performance, you know, Black Flag or Fugazi or, you know, uh, you know Jane's Addiction, where I saw those performers, all those people, those guys, I was just like, we ain't doing nothing like that here. That's really good. And that really spoke to me of the rage of being a teenager, kind of disillusioned and dropped off. And uh, in the punk revolution of going against authority, you know, all those things, that's what made me who I am, gave me everything that I am. So, I mean, sometimes it's hard because you uh, there's that sort of cliche about people who, um, you know, because you wouldn't want, I want my kids to be successful, but I think, Oftentimes, especially in music, you know, you have to go through so much pain to get to a point of anything interesting to say to anyone else, you know, to share. Otherwise, people are like, well, what have we got to, you know, yeah, whatever. You know, there's nothing there. But when there's been devastation, which happens to a lot of people, if someone who gets in that devastated position can then write about it, people can identify, people can hear it. They don't even need to intellectualize it or to be specific. It's just in there. It's intrinsically in there. And they hear that. And I know that because I meet people all the time that are affected by it. So it's a funny one now that we're like, everyone wants to be so good at parenting that you kind of, you forfeit, keep them from the very things that could teach them the biggest lessons, you know? It's pretty profound that unfortunately, most good art comes from a place of pain. It's a struggle because the thing is, is that if you accept there's always struggling, What's most interesting is, is the journey out and struggle. Because anyone can struggle and be beaten by it. And then it's just tragedy. It's struggle and adversity and somehow finding a way against, against odds that were definitely stacked against you. Um, and then that's amazing to get through that. And then once you've figured out that route and you have a, not a game plan, but somehow you managed it, I know it just it, people re- relate because there's that sort of underlying intrinsic level of people that's beyond the words and for that. It's just it's just in there and shared experiences. And I, I think that's the the power of art. Or the power of art is to 
is for people to, whether it's you look at a painting or you look at, um, you read an amazing book. If you look at Picasso's like Guernica, you know, about the, um, you know, about all the, 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 the war, the, the, the deaths, um, it, you, it's there, you just feel it. You know, you read the great books, they just take you, you're just, you know, you hear the great songs, there's someone singing in your ear or a writer, an author who's writing, who's reading and you're lost in that, you know, it's so powerful. You've always been someone that has been creative in more than one genre. So you've had your acting career, obviously your successful musical career, but now you've delved into a new kind of art that I am fascinated with because it's something that you and I have in common is your cooking career. And oh, right. you, you are now this, this gourmet chef of sorts. I mean, your dishes well, even have their own Instagram. So yeah, I, um, it's funny because I've always didn't know why I had a knack for cooking and I, and I, can for some reason the alchemy of cooking doesn't confuse me and pulling together a meal is just something that is something that i can do that i do on a regular basis so i was always looking away to um to 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 not i mean was there anything in there people always say they eat my food and go, oh my god you need to get up a cooking show it's like i'm not good enough for that it's like there's professional chefs who can cook it's not it's not that, I'm just a home cook who can make elevated food and people are surprised that it's elevated and it looks really pretty. Two things that aren't difficult to do, by the way. I must just preface that, really. But I was thinking of like something, how would I do, um, if I was to do some kind of show, what would I do? And that's when I came up with this interview show. And so I'm trying to do this interview show that I'm really close to making. But my God, it's so hard breaking into different professions and different things. Oh my God. But um, I think I'm pretty close. And that will be just an interview show where I just cook and interview people. And I've done a shot a couple already and hope to shoot in January. How is it for you being on my end of an interview? You've been on your end of interviews for decades now. How is it being on the other side of it? Well, you know, what was funny is, I mean, I really enjoy it because all you do, what I do, um, I've only shot two of them so far. It's just, it's just asking people questions. This wouldn't be much different if we went for dinner. I mean, I might, you know, maybe it's not interviewing you at dinner, but I'd ask you questions that would get you to talk and I'd understand your perspective on things. So I just saw it as, I have had so many great dinners that at one point, I don't remember what it was, but I was having a dinner and I was just like, we should, you know, I was just laughing about it, maybe with my friend, my, my best friend Alex was talking about it. And I was like, we should shoot this shit. You know, it's got to be worth something. We're cracking up. So if we're taking, we've been cracking up for five hours. So if you shoot this and just edit 20 minutes out, you got to get the, the cracking jokes, the cracking insight. So why can't I do a show like that? And I said that, you know, because I can't possibly do a show where I show how to do things because I leave myself open to um, all kinds of instruction that I fully deserve. And like, I think the kind of cute side of it is saying, you know, Full confession, I'm not a professional cook. I've never been trained, I'm self-taught. I've picked up bits and bobs and I love it and I'm just passionate about cooking. Um, but it's just temperature and time, so I'm going to do my best. <laughs> You've spent so much time on the road traveling the world. I love asking artists 
to be kind of a travel guide for those of us that don't get to travel as frequently. Where have you been around the world that have you've had the best meals? Oh, man, always in Japan. I mean, Japan is the, my favorite place to go of all time. I love Italy. Unfortunately, I haven't been as much to Italy, Spain, and France as I'd like. But those are the three cornerstones of I'd love. But, you know, in Germany, they have a great tradition of the schnitzels and all the, all the sausages, the bratwurst, and the currywurst, and, and uh, the wonderful beer. And just they have, a, they have a lot of, they have a great culture there. So wherever you go, I think as long as you, when you get to the history of these places, you know, Austria, again, with the schnitzel, obviously, there's just, wherever you find history, culture, there's great food. There just is. And uh, I don't mean, I'm all, I, don't, I don't really like tasting menus or super fancy three Michelin star stuff. I, by the eighth dip, dish, I'm confused. What did I have? What was that? I mean, that green foamy bit. Yeah, what was that bit? <laughs> It's just I get a bit lost. I don't. To me, a beautiful, beautifully well-made dish with a great produce and simply done, but bold and and, uh, and great technique. It's just you can't beat it. I'm, I I chronically overorder and undereat. That's my favorite. That's my party trick. Just order everything and just like take a chef's amount so that I can you know kind of keep it real when I'm on stage and don't like have to sit down too often. You've spent enough time in the Northeast around Boston specifically. Somebody has to have taken you out for clam chowder and lobster rolls at some point. Oh, yeah. I love lobster rolls. In fact, one of the places, one of my favorite places to get lobster rolls that I know of is in the back of one of the venues. We seem to have played a few times, the little outdoor amphitheater. There's a great little uh, lobster bar behind there. Um, I'm all about, you know, traditional, traditional, traditional. I don't, I don't, don't, don't mess with my lobster roll. How you get it is how it's meant to be. I'll take a Boston lobster roll and we're good to go. On a hot dog bun. It's got to be on a hot dog bun. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I is- agree. People like think they put it, on, I put it on a brioche loaf. Is that okay? No. Dance with the date that brung you. You got to eat it the way the locals eat it. Yeah, for sure. You said you were in the songwriting process for a new album for next year. I always ask songwriters because, like I said before, I'm so envious of the ability to craft songs that I always ask this question. It's not a favorite song question. It's a craft question. Is there a song by any artist or genre that you covet and wish you wrote that you think is a perfect example of songwriting? And then you got to tell me why. Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh, yeah, there's loads of songs. Um, um, Deftones, uh, Digital Digital Bath. Um, I, uh, Kingston, my son was playing Avalon last night. You know, that's a fantastic song anyone would love to have written. Um, sleep um, um, Comfortably Numb. That's a, uh, you know, I mean, this goes on. Um, Innocent When You Dream by Tom Waits. What do you think yeah. makes a great song? Um, the most undeniable connective phrase. Innocent When You Dream, 
um, you know, I'm comfortably numb. Uh, this just, it just when you crack a shared experience with a new code, um, and it's like a new, a new form of comfort. We all know what comfort we like. And it's so funny, isn't it? When you have um, a lyric or a melody that just gets you, you know, I've seen it on that, that Instagram thing all the time, Spirit leads me when it was. That, that, that melody is just so beautiful. I'm like, wow, that is just like such an amazing moment. Um, so I lift those moments to write. I've got a very large dog that wants to come in here. He's <laughs> tearing the door down to get in here. Get in, noisy, get in. By Jeez. very large dog, are you talking about Chewy again? Or is there more than yeah, one dog in the Rossdale house? Different dog. They get they bring a dog when they from when they come from their other house, they often bring the animals. So I get I end up like Noah. Noah. <laughs> I have a small, sweet dog. She loves me and can't be separated from me. So there was a door between us and Sue was having none of it. Yeah. My Wednesday, my pug, who has her own Instagram, that's how far on the crazy train I've gotten with my dog, um, is not happy that she's not in the studio right now. But pugs snore really loud and you'd be able to hear her. <laughs> I would forgive her some own care. Um, before I let you go, because you mentioned kind of being on social media, there's a lot of reels and a lot of 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 tattoo content that's kind of found its way onto TikTok and all of that. And you have some of the most unique tattoos of anyone I've ever met. Do you have them all done by the same artist or are you collecting them by different artists as you travel? No, same person. Same girl, Jesse Manchester. Just the same girl. Uh, it gives me a sort of uh, singular look. You know, I love tattoos so much, and but I think it's really it's they're so sacred and they're so part of you that you know you either have the mentality of like it's like oh who cares, drunk Saturday night, and you know my mum you know put my mum on there, and does that vibe, and that's like irreverent, and that's the original outlaws way. And then there's a kind of um, that thing of where it's like another form of self-expression. And so because I am so particular about music and about my, whatever I make, my clothing line, it just fits that I'm just stupidly, that's my chosen connection to it. The reason why it says one person. So when they work on you and they work for like eight hours at a time, there's depth there's such a connection. The idea of having a stranger doing it or some of that just fills me. It's like a different energy going into you, getting that energy going into you. Now, some people don't care about that stuff. They do it the way they want. That's high in school. I am just super bougie, uptight, like about that kind of stuff. I can't help it. I just want to be like, yeah, I don't know. I just want to like make sure I really like it. Well, the, the Greatest Hits collection, Nowhere to Go But Everywhere, comes out November 10th, and we're going to see you back in New England in Providence with Bad Wolves and Eva Under Fire on November 21st, and the tickets are on sale now. So we will see you there. Great. It was so, so nice much. to see you. We'll see you next Bye. month. Thank you. Bye.
There he is, the one and only Gavin Rossdale from Bush, the new greatest hits collection, Loaded 1994 to 2023, is available now, featuring the new song, Nowhere to Go But Everywhere. Bush will be at the Providence Performing Arts Center in Providence, Rhode Island on Tuesday, November 21st. And his new cooking show, Eat with Gavin Rossdale, is in development. And if you want details on all of that and more, just check the links in the show notes of this episode. You'll also find all of Gavin's links, all of Bush's links, and all the Mistress Carrie links, and the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, featuring my guest music and all the artists and songs that we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep, which runs down all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment updates in around five minutes. And you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page, for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And of course, you can always find me on the radio. Just keep your eyes on MistressCarrie.com, the Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.